0: America One voice united we stand. I am America. One hope to heal
1: Hi, I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about Judge Releases the Antrim County Audit Report. Kendall Qualls, candidate for governor of Minnesota, joins me in studio. Love this guy. Uh, Pfizer fights for vaccine safety, uh, fights against a vaccine safety data release. A truckers' freedom convoy tearjerker video—you won't even believe it. And lockdowns did not help, say the experts. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. I am America. On America, can we talk? I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare, freedom. America race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned.
0: America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry.
1: Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie George Addis. You may recall on the show back in uh, the fall of uh, 2020, we had a gentleman join us on the show who was describing his organization's effort to dive into the voting machines in Antrim County, Michigan and to basically test the theory of whether or not there may have been electronic manipulation of voting uh, tabulation software. The gentleman's name is Russell Ramsland, and today the reason I'm talking about him is the judge in that case released the audit of the Dominion voting machines from Antrim County. And the judge releases data, which has been opposed by Dominion and all of the state officials who didn't want this information to come out. The judge releases information after all of this time. So here we are, the early, here we are on Groundhog Day actually, in February of 2022. Um, and I'll just read you the very quick language that was the reason that both Dominion and other state officials did not want to have this information released. The bombshell report on the audit of the Dominion Voting System machines in Antrim County, Michigan, revealed that the machines and their software were designed to create systemic fraud. Designed to create systemic fraud. In a nutshell, what he's saying was when voting machines, electronic machines, are looking at ballots, they have to have something built in that says this ballot is too hard to read. Can't figure out for sure what this person meant. So they, instead of counting the vote either way on that ballot, they send the ballot instead over to and um, to be for to be manually reviewed. Uh, to have a, a pile of those ballots goes out, and then people look at the ballot that the machine couldn't read, and they decide uh, what it finally said. And so the exact language of Russ Ramson, co-founder of Allied Security Operations Group, said in the preliminary report we conclude the Dominion voting system is intentionally and purposefully designed with inherent errors to create systemic fraud and influence election results. The system intentionally generates an enormously high number of ballot errors. And then those ballots are are transferred for adjudication, meaning people look at that. And that is a point at which you lose track of what the ballots look like, and the people who examine them, who adjudicate those ballots, announced, well, yeah, we looked at all these, and it turns out everybody voted for X, Y, or Z. I think I mentioned to you the other day, and I wanna just say it again, I think election fraud is an extremely consequential issue in America. Some legislatures took some steps to try to correct potential election fraud, and you may have heard, I want to remind you if you didn't hear, we had a great story a couple days ago about Dinesh D'Souza's upcoming documentary coming out this fall. His documentary is called 2,000 Mules, as in the animal mules, M-U-L-E-S, and he's basically... How he is uh, reporting on and showing video surveillance evidence of in all the swing states, the states that determine the outcome of the 2020 election, in which they can show that a small number of people, each of those states, was collecting mail in ballots from who knows whoever they collected them from. And so a small number of people delivering thousands of ballots to the voting machine, these uh, voting drop boxes where they're dropped off. And so obviously, and some of the people were even, as they dropped stacks of ballots into the machines, they're taking a selfie to prove to whoever's paying them, yeah, see this, look at all these ballots I dropped. And this was information created because of the work of True the Vote that used uh, cell tower pinging, tracking of cell phones of people who were doing this, where they're pinging the cell towers were, and then then how many uh, ballots got dropped off in those locations. And this, the outcome clearly is of that um, allegation that there were just thousands of ballots, thousands of votes being counted in those states because they were dropped off by mules or you know ballot harvesters uh, in these key swing states. And there was a the worker true the vote that made that public. And this an upcoming video of by Janesha Souza, upcoming film Janesha Souza, 2,000 Mules has lots of details. I wanna close out the first five by saying, I am well aware that many people think it's just not the best thing ever to continue talking about election fraud. And I don't talk about it all the time on this show, but I do want to draw your attention as a serious student of American politics, a serious student of, wanting to preserve America, that it matters to everyone to get to the bottom of what occurred in the 2020 elections. Keep your eyes open for what is coming out in the film by Janessa D'Souza. Uh, Antrim County had this release. There's also a Georgia judge is contemplating the release of information that the voting machine people and the officials in Georgia have been trying to block. That may be coming too. It, at the end of the day, what matters is truth. The American people are entitled to know the truth about the election of 2020, and they're entitled to have exposure and transparency as the various methods by which um, f- fraud may have occurred, and they're entitled to have that fraud corrected. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I mentioned this on our show. We have a guest joining us in the studio. I love having guests in the studio. We can work it out. We have Kendall Qualls here today. Um, he has been on the show before, and he also... Um, He spoke at a seminar, a uh, conference I put on last year, sponsored by America Can We Talk, about critical race theory. He is a resident of the state of Minnesota, and he's running for governor of Minnesota. And as you know, if you listen to my show very often, I love Minnesota. I spent all my summers growing up there, because my father grew up in Minnetonka. We have lots and lots and lots of cousins up there. So I love Minnesota. And I've always thought of Minnesota as kind of heartland America, and therefore, been really Puzzled to watch the political dynamics in Minnesota and how it seemed to have gone so far left. So, we have a wonderful candidate for governor, Kendall Qualls, joining us in the studio. We're going to find out all about why he would take on this race and what he plans to do. So, hi, Kendall.
2: Debbie, good to see you again.
1: Thank you. Good to see you, sir. I'm so glad you could come in the studio today. It's just always more fun. Um, and I think, actually, given I know your life story from the times you've uh, been on my show and you've spoken um, about uh, at the Critical Race Theory Conference. But I think your background is uniquely interesting and relevant for voters in today's environment. So I'd love to have you tell our listeners about your, you know, your background.
2: Sure, I'll, I'll do a really truncated version. You know, what I share with people, especially on the on the stump, on the on the political stump, is that you know the promise of America is alive and well, and it works for for anyone, regardless of race, regardless of background and circumstances. Because um, that's the story of my life. I started my life when my parents divorced. Uh, in Harlem, New York um, With my mom and my four other siblings after uh, going through first through fifth grade my father picks me and my brother up and live with him in Oklahoma and I started my life uh, with him in a trailer park and so I tell people you know I've been called trailer trash and ghetto kid and a lot of worse things than that but here's what I've learned Where you start in life is not where you have to stay in life and this this country affords you an opportunity to change that dynamic in a big way
1: i I love those things about your past because i do think many people in politics and and it's been a natural evolution but many people in politics come from uh wealth and and certainly stature and they have an expectation in their families oh yeah you know well our family is a political family we all run for office we have Plenty of those in the gray state of Texas. I'll just leave it at that. But I, I think there is a yearning on the part of many voters for outsiders, people to who aren't just, you know, I don't know what, sunk in the swamp, melded into the process. So, do you think your outsider, not a political person, is is an as an asset in this race?
2: It's a huge asset. Um, so right now in the in the primary, there's six candidates. Um, I'm the only veteran. I'm the only one that comes from this you know, really meager circumstances, actually went, went to school, worked, worked and got three, three graduate degrees, moved up and uh, became a vice president of a Fortune 100 company, um, raised my family of five kids. It, it is literally the, the American dream. And we're, we're in a state right where Ilhan Omar is, where Keith Ellison, the Attorney General, where, they, where they're trying to say that the American dream was rigged from the beginning. It never really existed. And we need a counter narrative to that message as we clean up the state and make it what it used to be.
1: I, I love that message. And i tell you, I said in my, in my introduction, I love Minnesota. I mean, everyone I know from Minnesota is all my cousins, but I mean, they are just, wh- wh- whichever si- political party they vote for, they are heartland America. They are hardworking, they're great parents, they take their kids to church, they're just, they're just kind of salt of the earth. And they seem like it, that seems like it's a rare animal in Minnesota. But so, so I, I've assumed over the years, as Minnesota seems to have veered left, that maybe the composition is different. But are you finding, as you go out in the campaign trail, I mean, are, I, I mean, who? Are you, what are you finding in terms of what people want in Minnesota?
2: There's a lot of energy. Number one. Number two. The the, the state is really kind of a, a center left, center right at at any given time. It is a dead center state. It has four congressional representatives on the Republican side and four on the Democrat side. Okay. and, and uh, but what, what I can tell you is one of the things that they don't like is the amount of crime that's going on in the city right now Forbes magazine used to call um, Minnesota the safest city in the country and we wow. want we want to get it back to that where it is we back to that point because that's not necessarily a political issue that's a, that's a security family issue it's spreading beyond the inner cities and into the suburbs now
1: yeah, you know, you had on that, that unfortunate episode uh, in Minnesota involving George Floyd, which obviously, you know, we don't, I don't wanna go off on that story today, but I do wanna say it kind of seemed to not only justify riots and violence, but it brought along with it some uh, people in authority, people in power kind of tolerating or excusing that violence. Say, well, you know, bad things happen here, so now we've got this big fix to do. So, I, I mean, it, it seemed like it was not handled well the violence by the people in charge. Is that a-
2: fair? Absolutely. So, Tim Waltz is the governor. He allowed that to happen. They, what happened to George Floyd, separate from the violence, it's a separate issue. We don't adjudicate crimes or, or, or misdoings in the streets of our cities. He allowed, the, he allowed that to happen for three days. This, this is not the profile of Minnesota. Um, and this whole BLM spread—it spread across the country. And it was a leadership issue. It's a dereliction of duty more than anything. And it put a bad light on on uh, on the state. I mean, literally, he allowed the the, the country to believe that Minnesota is full of racist people and racist cops. And it's the furthest from the truth.
1: I, I, I could not agree more. You also did something else I don't think you mentioned yet. But I you know, you, you're just I, what I really appreciate about you on many things is you're kind of a problem solver, go getter. And one reason I say that is as this critical race theory expanded, as it became the trendy thing to talk about, and the trendy thing for many people to assume was just uh, that America had a massive systemic racism problem, because that's what the left was saying, you formed an organization in Minnesota. I'd love to have you tell about that.
2: Sure. So um, I started a nonprofit last year called Take Charge Minnesota. And we did two things. So two things. 50% of my time uh, went into the black community of the Twin Cities and said, guys, look, we didn't used to live like this. You know, when I'm in my lifetime, when Martin Luther King was uh, was alive, uh, and when we're at the time of his assassination, 80% of the black community were two-parent families. In our lifetime, 80%
1: were two-parent families at MLK's
2: day. That's right. When I was wow. five years old. Okay. And it's gone from 80% two-parent families to 80% fatherless homes, without one national initiative to reverse the trend. And so I went, to, I went to the Twin Cities and I said, look, God did not intend for women to raise children alone. A lot of heads nodding up and down, but they weren't sure what to do next. And that's what we did. We, we focused on getting back to the roots of faith, family, and education. That's who we were as a culture before the, we had help from the government. And so I did that for 50% of my time. I recruited people um, to help spread that message. And the other 50% of my time was traveling the state. I got calls from all over the state, Kendall, help me understand why they're pushing this, you know, this evil stuff, critical race theory in our, in our schools. Some of these towns, 99.9% white, and they're calling their kids oppressors. So from, from the suburban communities all the way across the state, I traveled for the whole year.
1: Okay, and the organization is called Take Charge Minnesota?
2: Take Charge Minnesota. And Debbie, I can tell you, it's the largest platform in the United States, you'll see of black Americans that speak positively about the country, denounce Black Lives Matter, denounce critical race theory, and, and call for an appeal to get back the basics of faith, family, and education in the black community.
1: Oh, I just love that. And you know, I actually think, so you're talking, taking this message all over Minnesota, but actually People could replicate this in other states, right? I mean, they could do the same
2: well, thing. Well, we'll be starting uh, chapters in other states. So I have officially resigned in December. My wife now is heading, heading that up as the executive director. Um, now I'm an official candidate, so I have to be decoupled from it, if you will. But uh, the message is saying that America works. The, the idea and promise of America works. And we need to, if anything in this country, get back to the basics. We have a country to save, and we're going to start in Minnesota doing it.
1: Oh, I just love that message. I I, I truly do. And as this whole uh, evolution of on the left of uh, critical race theory and systemic racism, I think it caused a lot of people, they they, uh, would hear those kind of things, uh, say to our listeners, they would hear these kind of things. And they would think, well, gee, you know, I don't think America's that way. But maybe I'm out of it. Maybe I missed something. And so and because you didn't have a lot of voices trying to expose it until recently, I think a lot of teachers, school districts, perish just thought, "Well, I, you know, I don't think I'm that way, and I don't see families like that." But, but maybe I'm really missing something. So to have voices, and Kendall Qualls is one, but others too, saying, "No, actually, the 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 underlying theory of critical race theory, the underlying argument that America is systemically racist, is untrue." That's what you're saying. Not, so not only
2: untrue, that the origins of it comes from the Communist uh, Manifesto. That's the origins, and it's documented there. But here's the here's the other dynamic that is really, I call a scandal from, from a media standpoint. This is the least racist period in our country's history.
1: You say that. Sentence this is again. the <laughs>
2: least racist period. Black, black Americans are doing better than they ever have in this country. Now, we have a we have a head coach that's suing the NFL. And, you know, what? I wish I could have coached him before he made that decision.
1: Yeah,
2: he's 40 years old. Most coaches, when they get their first head coach job, are not 40 years old first black coach of the Miami Dolphins. We have multiple coaches, oftentimes in but here's this, I, I tell my, my my friends and I tell uh, the audiences, my parents or grandparents would have loved to have grown up in the America that I grew up in. Yeah, we rarely talk about progress in, the, in this country. And then I, I call the media's complicit in this in this, um, I, I call hit, hidden treasure, if you will, of how far we've come as a country.
1: Okay, I, I love that you're saying that. And I have often thought, you know, if you're a child starting school now and what you're hearing is what we're now describing, critical race theory and, and systemic racism. And, and you don't have a, a worldview. Otherwise, I mean, you have your nice parents at home or something. Right. You really what you do, you're you're start, You start out in life being taught to hate America.
2: That's right. That's exactly. Is it. that
1: happening it's in it. Minnesota? They're teaching well, the and
2: this is why we're fighting back against it. It, it, it is an even under, underpinning. And it's, it's, in fact, it's permeating in the military right now with teachings and the same thing. And it's, in, it's imperative that Americans fight back against this because the narrative is not true. It's not factually true. Um, do we have racist people? And, you know, we have bad characters. Absolutely bad characters. But that's not the definition of our country. They don't. That's not the profile of who we are as a nation.
1: I love what you're saying. And I couldn't agree more. And I actually think... When you paint it broadly like that what happens is the real problems the i mean you say there are races and of course there are of every skin color race ethnicity national origin there are but they they are kind of almost protected by this broad brush painting they are just like you know i I mean when you'd rather have their behavior or their language spotlighted yes yes Spotlighted. yes Okay, so you mentioned your military service, which I also love, and I do think, um, if you want to briefly talk about your military service, then I don't want to run through the campaign. Yeah, you know
2: what, I, I, I won't spend a lot of time on that. Listen, I, I didn't serve in combat for you know, the heroes that we have in this country. Those that sold multiple tours have been wounded, have seen combat. Um, I was in the combat arms branch on artillery, but where I served in Korea, and at the time I served, I didn't have combat. So I did serve but the real heroes are the ones that we see every day.
1: Well, it's nice of you to say, but it's still wonderful that you serve. Okay, so your campaign themes, I went on your website um, and you talked about three reasons, and I I love your first reason, because you said something like, everyone in America should care about this, but Minnesota was ground zero for the riots, and I'd kind of forgotten about that. So, you know, taking charge, we talked about, you know, the government did not handle it well in Minnesota. So what do you do? Uh, How would you respond as governor differently?
2: Sure, you you know, there's so, there's two two scenarios that we can have quick responses. One, a lot of retired police officers have been telling me, Kendall, you know what, we have violent criminals that are walking the streets right now with, uh, with um, warrants that are not being served. That's, that's low-hanging fruit. You know, hundreds yeah. hundreds of violent criminals walking the streets that, that, that we could pick up. Number two is uh, we plan on hiring law enforcement officials at the state level, so think about state troopers, organize them into a task force, and we can deploy them in the twin cities of Minnesota, right there, Minneapolis and St. Paul, whether the city council wants them there or not. Um,
1: the governor's office can do this, whether the city council wants absolutely.
2: them there. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've checked and verified that uh, we have, uh, the governor has jurisdiction to do that. And it, to be honest with you, it's abysmal that our current governor hasn't done it.
1: Yeah, I think uh, related to all this talk about what occurred um, after the riots, there was a defund the police response by leftists who never like law and order anyway. Uh, right. But but that defund the police thing became uh, became kind of a I'm standing up for the people, but actually defunding or weakening the police. The mo the people most hurt are those. In the lower-income, more dangerous neighborhoods, yes. who don't have protection.
2: We 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 recently had a um, a vote about defund the police, and the black community of Minneapolis voted, don't defund the police, keep them there. And all the liberal areas that were not affected by it voted to defund the police. Here's what's happened: what now? This crime, we've got the largest number, highest number of carjackings now in the city, in the Twin Cities, spreading into some of the most affluent communities today. And we're literally seeing mothers and grandmothers be- beaten in parking lots and their car taken at the highest level we've ever seen.
1: Okay. When well, you talked about the the white liberal suburbs who are saying, oh, yes, defund the police. You know, there have been several stories recently about people who are politicians, elected officials, right. who right. have been saying they are so proudly staying with defund the police until they get like carjacked in the parking lot of an airport or, or, or a college. Exactly. And, like, you know what? Actually, in second thought, County, the police. Okay, so then you also have talked about people leaving Minnesota in record numbers. Um, And and I think in part it has to do with tax burden. So what's your plan there?
2: It's absolutely a tax burden. We're one of the highest states as it relates to the tax burden on on individuals as well as on the the business community. We have some of the top-notch businesses in the country in the state of Minnesota. But when they expand, they're deciding to expand outside of the state because of the tax burden. was recently in Florida, and uh, you know there's a, a group of re- retired Minnesotans down there, and Ron DeSantis had a chance to uh, meet with them. Over 400 Minnesotans, and I, I sent a note and said, uh, "Tell Governor DeSantis he's doing a great job, but don't be an overachiever." But but for every for every grandparent we send down there, a retiree, I want two grandkids sent back.
1: Yeah, that's, that's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it's
2: it's, it's a severe, we're going to reduce those taxes, and, and including the social security tax. We're one of the few handful of states that actually tax social security for retirees.
1: Wow. No wonder the retirees leave and go to that oh, yeah. and, and the corporate or Texas. Tax. Yes. yes. Texas. Yeah. 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 So you would really try to focus on tax burden. Uh, I think one time we talked before too about how the pandemic came along and so many people they lost their jobs or they you know they had reduced income trying to get through the pandemic. And I have you guys, Do you feel like Minnesota has reemerged in the pandemic? Or
2: Unfortunately, not, not. Uh, the leftist woke um, mayors in the Twin Cities, for example, uh, vaccine cards before you can go to a restaurant.
1: You guys have that vaccine card thing?
2: They're, they're mimicking what oh. they're doing in New York. And, and there's no data to, to validate that decision. It's a political it's a political move. And it's hurting the businesses in t- downtown the restaurant community. Sixty percent of reservations—they're down. Sixty percent of of traffic flow.
1: Okay. Are you talking about this is in Minneapolis?
2: In Minneapolis and and Saint Paul.
1: In Saint Paul. Okay. So here, my sister and I were just talking about going to Minnesota in March because this family thing is going on, and I I, don't—that would have to have a vaccine passport. Well, if
2: not, if you went came out to to one of the other other suburban towns other than Minnetonka, Minnetonka has this.
1: Minnetonka has it.
2: They—they have the—they have the mask mandate, but they don't have the vaccine card. And it, it is really you just never know when you're traveling through the towns, what you have to have. So as governor, what I would do, all of that shuts down.
1: Oh, amen. none,
2: none of it. None of it. There's no evidence. Uh, healthy can, health data evidence that's just that number one that it works. Number two, that is needed.
1: Oh, I love that. That's a, actually to tease my happy listeners. In our last story today, we're going to talk about Epoch Times had a great report out about this guy who studied a bunch of data, three people, extra today, right. and said the entire shutdown did not didn't save anything. Social isolation did not protect us. In right. fact, it hurt us. Okay, third thing you mentioned, um, and I, we've been touching on it, but people are feeling bullied by this constant accusation of systemic racism. So, how do you? And beside, I guess trying to change the schools and trying to try to get CRT out of schools, get that thing out of schools. I, I mean, it, honestly, you as a governor just saying, you know, what are you even talking about? I mean, just the, what you just said yes. earlier, just saying, this is the least racist time in our at, country's history, in our country's history,
2: right? Well, and here's the other part of it, too. I think what voters and what, what people are wanting is that they're tired of the cancel culture. They're tired of everything being called racist. They're tired of, of, of being bullied by the left. And a lot of that is permeated into our schools. We yes. need to get back to the basics. In Minnesota, even in our best school districts, standardized test scores are stagnant or declining. Our kids are getting no longer competitive. And they need to be competitive, not just across the state, but across the country. Yep. You know, we're in a global economy now. And it actually needs to be you know, competitive uh, internationally as well.
1: Okay. Honestly, um, I, I'm thrilled that you're running. Um, I know the primary is Tuesday, August 9th. Do you guys have some weird system up there, though, where you don't really have a primary vote? You have some kind of a state caucus? That yeah, is- right.
2: We have an endorsement process and then the primary later on. But we have six of us that are going through the endorsement process. Three that are um, state, state uh, senators in politics and three that are not. And so we have outsiders, insiders. And uh, so I've only been in for 25 days. Yeah. And I'm in a virtual tie for third. And uh, when, I, when I announce my fundraising, I'll be ranked in the, as the uh, third most uh, funds raised in 25 days and all of them have been um, campaigning for over six months.
1: Yeah, I love all of that. I also know, I, I have enough connection in Minnesota. You have some, I don't know what to right call them, serious power player, the kind of, I mean, I mean, really serious, love the state Minnesotans. You were really recruited to run, I mean, urged to run. I know this. Yeah, so
2: you, I, I was really urged to run. A lot of people felt, number one, that the candidate pool couldn't take us over. I mean, we need to win with a cheat proof margin. Now, I hate to say it that way, but, you know, you're talking about voters, you, what you talked about previously on your segment. We need, to, we need to win with a margin that can't be fudged. Yes. And then we can fix the, all the, the voter, uh, you know, consistency things that we need. We need the levers of power to do that. It's hard to do it when you're in the minority party and you don't have the, uh, have the levers of power.
1: Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you this question about how would you possibly think any Republican could win the governor's seat? But then I went back and looked and actually Minnesota has gone back and forth. I mean, I have the Democrat Farm Farmer Labor yeah. Party, which is I always call them the Communists, but they're not really Communists, but they're pretty far left. They're pretty close. <laughs> and, and then Republicans uh, from 2003 to 2011, you're Republican. That's right.
2: That's right. So here, we're in a different scenario right now. So what we have is a, a Virginia lands, landscape okay. on steroids. And this is because the, Virginia did not have the crime issue that we have. Yeah. I have Democrats that have caucus for me in a Republican Party. Just yesterday, I had a guy that said, look, I went to the, the Democratic National Convention for Bill Clinton. For me to walk into a Republican caucus is a big thing. Yeah. You know what? It's because of the crime issue.
1: And, yes, and the way the left responds to the crime issue is kind of a, uh, it is a more sympathy for the criminal than exactly. to society. And it is, uh, and the every, the policies put in place, encourage the behavior, encourage continued criminal behavior. I'm gonna say for our happy radio listeners, I know you're heading off at the bottom of the hour to your break, so before you do, uh, first of all, come back after the break, we'll have a whole other half an hour. Second of all, uh, if you're just listening, I wanna repeat this candidate's name for you, is Kendall, K-E-N-D-A-L-L, Qualls, Q-U-A-L-L-S, very great, simple to remember website, is KQ4, the word for F-O-R, then M-N, the abbreviation for minnesota.com, kq 4 Mn.com. we are gonna have a link up to it on our website, americacanmetalk.org. And if you're listening on radio, I will tell you that my name is Debbie Georgiatis. The show is America Can We Talk? You can go to our website, americacanmetalk.org, hear all of our past shows, past interviews, read our wonderful blog posts, read our weekly newsletter. You can subscribe to the newsletter, which is free and you should do it. Uh, You can donate to the show. You can join the show for a mere $50 a year. You can be a member of America Can We Talk. Lots of great membership benefits. But I want to tell you, if you're listening on radio, come back after the three-minute break. You're going to have at the bottom of the hour. And also check out our website, americacanwetalk.org. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. Recently, I spoke at a big conference, and the guy who is the MC said, I can't say your name. I was just going to say Debbie G. So I started to say Debbie G. Come back after your break. Okay, for online listeners, we're going to go right on. So we have our radio folks off for three minutes. So to wrap up for you, want people to know about your campaign, I said it's, it's KQ4MN. Can you put that back up again, Mr. Becker, the wonderful producer, uh, just so people can see it? KQ4MN.com, uh, which I like Kendall Qualls. Um, yep. And uh, so, uh, you, I assume we're touring the state. You're, you're, so what are you finding? What are people mostly talking about that they're concerned about?
2: You know they're they're energized that we can finally get change. No, number one as i mentioned the crime issue the taxes we're driving businesses away they're concerned about that we're driving their kids away as well yeah. um and and they're, they're concerned about what's happening in schools these are bread and butter issues these are not not right or left issues these are bread and butter it's interesting we had um chris christie come and speak to to the republican party um uh, this time last year okay. and said what do you need to what do we need to do the win in the blue state. He said, well, you got bread and butter issues and it's all about the right candidate. It's all about the right candidate. And I be- I believe we saw the model in Virginia with um, Glenn Youngkin, outside business person. We, the, the, the model opposite was New Jersey.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know,
2: insider. So uh, I fit that profile, a guy that loves his country and I'm trying to not only save, it, save the state and turn it around, but really, just the spread of the message that, the, that America uh, it works, the promise of America works, where the left is trying to promote this promise of government. Student Ooh, I like, loans. I'm
1: stealing that line. Yes. The left promotes promise of government. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, That's no, a great line. No,
2: but really, it, it is, we're, we're going to pay off your student loans. or you know, We're going to have, you know, have them you know, uh, paid uh, maternity leave. Or, you, know, you really can't do it on your own, that kind of thing. We're going to give you $500 a month. That's what the mayor of St. Paul at, on, off, wants to offer um it it is basically to everyone everyone
1: oh my gosh man i should move there i could just
2: (laughs) (laughs) well you know what that that, that, unfortunately that gravy train once you get hooked on that thing right it, it does not bode well for those that stay
1: absolutely true kendall Qualls. i am so happy you happen to be in dallas texas i'm so glad you had time to come in today. i know you've got a bunch of meetings and i hope a bunch of supporters uh, i just want to thank you so much for joining debbie us. thank
2: you for having me it's
1: just great to see you all right take okay care. bye so that is kendall Qualls, folks and i tell you again i'm gonna say it one more time so you have it down kq4mn.com um, and i really encourage you to go to his website read all about his because the other thing we didn't even get into was he has a lovely family um, a wife and Five kids uh, who are actually really, really nice people. They turned out like parents who paid attention to them. So uh, this is a great candidate, and honestly, for Republicans looking to try to push back against the critical race theory, the systemic racism argument, this is this is just a real life. Let me show you what the truth is, kind of candidate. And honestly, we're very blessed to have him in the Republican Party. So that was Kendall Qualls and i appreciate that he could be here today so now we have our radio listeners coming back hello this is debbie Georgiatis again america can we talk uh next thing i want to talk about is a very short quick little segment pfizer uh, i called it pfizer fights vac safety data release i just have to tell you this this is simply mind blowing so you know we have a lot of concerns about the vaccines for COVID, and many people support the vaccines, and/or many people don't like them. Um, but in America, historically, we have all assumed that you know we, the people, we kind of have the right to the data to see what you know uh, what's how the testing went, what the testing process was, what the dangers were. That we have a right to see all of this. It's just kind of it's been a, an assumption in American politics, in American life, and it's a fundamental concept. Of freedom and a fundamental concept of responsive government the rule of laws to have transparency so as you all likely know as a very quick background we had the um, we had a lawsuit had to actually file a Freedom of Information Act in order to get a court to look at the question of why don't these vaccine companies have to produce for the American people why don't they have to produce the the uh, studies that, uh, for their vaccine safety now the vaccines are out we have you know many complaints about their efficacy and safety, but the question of what was the testing you did, what was the outcome, that just seems like you shouldn't even have to ask twice. It's a norm in America. So we originally had Pfizer saying that they could let America see the results of their vaccine safety study, and they said it would take them approximately 57 years. I am not making that up. 57 years, to get the data ready, and so uh, got to a court, and the court said, mm, "I don't think so." And so the court, you know, they're, they're trying to say, "Well, it's very complex." Well, understand this: this company is making millions, and probably be billions, by producing vaccines in a very rushed manner. Many, many concerns about the safety of the vaccines, and yet, when you're trying to look at the vaccine safety data, of which they have over, which they have unique possession. I mean, it's their data. Uh, they're, they're saying, well, we really can't produce very, very hard. We, we, 57 years is going to take us. And so of court said, I don't think so. And they gave them till, I think it was the end of September, and they broke it down in terms of data packets or volume of information, had to produce a certain, a certain amount of information in a certain amount of time. This is what happened. And so uh, the FDA, um, there was a scheduled release of documents related to the Pfizer COVID vaccine. There's a scheduled release on this, this plan. This, this judge, he didn't suggest, he ordered, said this is the amount of time you're gonna take to release the data. Pfizer had a data release coming up. Uh, they had actually uh, asked a federal court, um, you know, they, they weren't ready to do it, and they asked the federal court, um, that they, they wanted to delay doing it, and then the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, asked the federal court to intervene. Like, they're not a party. you know, know, litigation of parties, you know, in a civil context, you have a plaintiff and a defendant, in criminal context, you have the state versus the defendant, but you have parties. And so outside parties, someone who's not one of the two parties, you have to move to intervene to say, you know, I'm not really a party to this litigation, but I would like to have, um, I, I would like to intervene. So that's what the FDA asked, it intervened. And the FDA asked the court to further delay release of the covid vaccine safety data the fda Now, keep in mind the fda the food and drug administration exists for the very purpose it's a purpose in living its very purpose is to protect the american people's safety to protect us with respect to vaccines and other drugs and treatments the fda food and drug administration their job is not to protect the pharmaceutical companies. Their job in law is to protect the American people, to protect us so we know what is being sold, that has been securely tested, that we have access to, we can understand what the outcome was of the test. So the FDA is joining and supporting Pfizer and saying, you know, actually, we, we don't want this, this release, this is too soon. And i have to uh, relate it back to we had a guest, a brian dr brian artist we had dr brian no it was a different doctor anyway we've had many doctors on the show one of them was talking about the concept of regulatory capture and the concept of it was that under regulatory capture it's a it's a a name given to an observation which is that sometimes in not just america but everyone in america a federal agency that has the jurisdiction to enforce law, to oversee an industry, to oversee some area of law, like the FDA has the responsibility to oversee the pharmaceutical companies, the companies that are supposed to be overseen actually uh, become in control of the agency that is supposed to be watching them. So the pharmaceutical companies have captured control over the FDA, and this is not, the FDA wouldn't agree that that is precisely the case. They would say, well, we have to work with them, but the things that we normally assume the FDA, a neutral governmental body whose job it is, primary responsibility is, is to make sure the American people are kept safe, that is what the FDA is supposed to do, but the FDA is, for lack of, to use a vernacular, in bed, with the pharmaceutical companies. So instead of saying the FDA saying, well, of course you need to release this data, Pfizer, and hurry the heck up. You know, the American people just are entitled to see it. You have the FDA backing Pfizer and saying, well, you know, uh, they, they really need a lot more time. I just I raise this to say it's extremely important to recognize you actually lose the power of the federal agencies and the and the job of the federal government when you have this regulatory capture. Um, phenomena occur you have the uh, agencies no longer number one priority is the safety of the american people even though they would say that it was they are more driven by protecting the pharmaceutical companies over which they're supposed to be that they're supposed to be overseeing and regulating so i mean the idea that fda would weigh in and support Pfizer saying we can't get that data can, can we have another whatever number, about a period of time they said It's it's just an extremely important thing to recognize, and it's an example of, you know, the broad use of the word swamp. You know, people talk about the swamp in Washington, and they can mean elected officials, uh, you know, members of Congress and the Senate, and they're in bed with some other, you know, the people who lobby with them, the people who pay them money uh, because they they are lobbyists and getting money from them. The swamp is a broad term, but this is part of swamp. This is part of the idea that when the FDA thinks the more, most important thing is they need to make sure uh, that the Pfizer isn't unhappy with having to release data, the FDA is not on your side anymore. Very, very important to understand. Okay, uh, I have this uh, little video. I called it Trucker's Freedom Convoy Tearjerker. My husband actually sent me this uh, via text or somehow messaged me. Um, And I I, I sent it to Mr. Becker earlier. It's a two minute video. It is really a tearjerker. And I'm just going to tell you that if you do not know uh, what, you know, very quickly, the truckers convoy, still ongoing in Canada, the truckers, an order came down from the uh, Trudeau government in Canada that by January 15th, all truckers, uh, Canadian truckers had gone over the border to America and came back, that they had to be Um, They had to either be vaccinated or quarantine themselves for two weeks. Now, the government is saying, hey, look, 90 percent of these people are are, are vaccinated anyway. So so what? But the truckers have started a protest, a a truckers con freedom convoy. And it has gone around the world. It has engaged and excited people around the world people hearing that it's a visible way, it's a consequential way, it's an impactful way for people who do not like watching their freedom being taken away under the guise of protecting you from COVID, which is really what the the, uh, government excuses every bit of their tyranny, every bit of their wear a mask, stay home, can't go to work, must socially distance. As you're hearing from our guest, Kendall Qualls, a few minutes ago, can't go to a restaurant in in Minneapolis or Minnetonka or in St. Paul without a vaccine passport or a mask or something. All this tyranny spewing out of the government over COVID. And as more and more people recognize, COVID for what it really was, which was, you know, it's an unfortunate situation. It's an unfortunate, um, you know, it's a bioweapon released by the Chinese from the Wuhan lab. It has, it you know, it has caused death and it has caused misery and suffering. No one's saying COVID doesn't exist, obviously. It is also true, though, that for most people, the survival rate for if you get COVID is over 99%. percent you got to keep... Repeating that fact to your friends, survival rate for almost everyone is over 99%. It is those with pre existing conditions, uh, comorbidities, and the very senior who were more likely to fall prey and perhaps pass on from COVID. But back to my trucker story what you end up with is people, the more the government uses COVID as an excuse to impose tyranny. And the more people read the facts about COVID, instead of just being, you know, reading the fear porn headlines um, and and just freezing in fear, uh, the more the people are saying, you know, actually we're not gonna put up with this anymore. We're not gonna do it. So in Canada, in addition to having these truckers as big convoy from the border at Vancouver, they drove from Vancouver up to Ottawa. They're now in a massive, you know, truckers protest in Ottawa. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau is hiding out an unknown uh, location, allegedly because he tested positive. He doesn't want to deal with these people. He's been spewing out insulting uh, uh, ways of describing the truckers, calling him racist and bigot and all these things that don't fit these people. And the truckers have now blockaded the border. Uh, one of the many borders there are, border entrances between America and Canada, uh, it's a border area where, um, it's in Alberta, the province of Alberta, um, and so you have the truckers that block the border there, and so there's an issue now because they can't get food. I mean, the truckers are, are trying, to say, trying to do something to make the government answer them, and not just call them racist and violent or other stupid things that Justin Trudeau said, just ignorant and em- embarrassing level ignorant for what Justin Trudeau said. But the truckers are responding, and this little video is one guy trying to tell what he saw at the border.
0: And uh, when we were in uh, Port Hope, there was uh, hundreds and hundreds of people uh, heading to Ottawa, but there was a lot of people that couldn't make it, so they brought food and all kinds of items for the truckers and whatnot, and we're asking people to take it up there, so we we took a few bags. I just uh, got overwhelmed. We opened up one of the bags to see what what they had in them and i got punched in the heart um whoever these people are they had their kids do up uh a bag with a cookie in it for the truckers and they attached a note with it put their artwork on there sorry i'm getting emotional again i'm going to show you what it was and this is why we're doing what we're doing Some little kid made this, reach for the stars, we believe in you. It was a picture of a truck inside of it. They left a note. The note says, Dear Mr. or Mrs. Trucker, it's really awesome that you're standing up for human rights. I'm only 11, so I don't know much about it. But I believe what's happening is wrong. And I know you can do it sincerely Kate and she's got a a cookie in a baggie for a trucker this is absolutely amazing and this is why we're doing it all you parents out there that know what's going on God love you for letting your kids know I'm gonna sign off, please just share this everywhere, this is amazing.
1: Okay, I wanted to share that because you see that guy, now he's not a trucker, he's just helping out up there. And this, by the way, yesterday in the show, we played uh, two different uh, little short videos of people who are in Canada and they're out there in Ottawa. One was a woman who had a very thick accent, I think she said she came from Germany and a very thick accent. Uh, and you know you can see it's freezing cold. I mean, everyone would rather be home in front of the fireplace uh, than standing out in, these, in this freezing cold. But she's out there just talking about what the government in Canada has done with respect to COVID and calling it tyrannical tyrannical. And she just talked about, you know, I couldn't get in to see my own mother. Uh, her, This woman's mother was very senior and she couldn't get in to see her. Um, and th- they were just talking about, you know, this is, this is the real Canada. This is, this is who we are. We don't like tyranny. We don't like being shut down and we're not going to take it anymore. Another was a guy who I don't know um, for sure. He had uh, the kind of um, uh, attire, uh, it looked to be uh, the, from the country of India. Um, but any, in any case, uh, he now is a Canadian resident, and um, you know, he had the, the head, head turban uh, that many um, uh, people from the country of India wear. But basically, he's just saying, this is everybody, every race, every ethnicity. We're out here to say, we're not here protesting the vaccines, we're protesting the mandates. And there's just this spirit of freedom bursting out in, in uh, Canada and around the world. i um, they're now starting truckers rallies in America and in uh, Western Europe. Because what's really happening, I think that for the first time in a long time, many people are waking up to the fact that you only get to hang on to freedom in every generation if, if you hang on, if you insist, if you stand up. Because there'll always be people, and, and you know there are in the world today, always be people who will seize on the opportunity, seize on a current event, seize on something that will allow them to gain more power. COVID, to be very clear, I've talked about in the show before, and you should all, if you don't know this, you should be aware of it. Um, there is a, a gentleman named Klaus Schwab, who is the World Economic Forum guru, the international globalist socialist movement who wrote a book very openly talking about COVID-19 is our opportunity for the great reset. He talks openly about using the reaction to COVID to manipulate the world into submission to the globalist socialist government he wants. And not just he, but there are leaders in every developed country around the world and probably some underdeveloped countries around the world who are part of this World Economic Forum, who see this as they don't just see, this isn't just a mission to make sure that COVID vaccines and COVID treatments are distributed to every single country. It's not just to make sure somehow we're helping uh, poorer countries get access to COVID treatments. That's not what the World Economic Forum mission is. And they talk about using COVID as part of the Great Reset. What they are talking about is using COVID as a basis, as an excuse, as a launching point to convince the world to slowly bring the world, especially those pesky Americans who actually believe in individual liberty, bring them into submission. Force them into doing what the World Economic Forum socialists want, what the COVID policy uh, mandators, tyranny uh, inflictors want, which is people decide, I'm so afraid of COVID, I'll do whatever the government says, I'll get whatever shots they tell me, whatever boosters they tell me, I'll stay home for the rest of my life if that's what I must do. This is an effort. It is, it is a, I mean, what I'm saying to you, you can, if you haven't heard these ideas before, you might be thinking, well, that's a little conspiracy theory. No, this is what Klaus Schwab is writing. He's writing. I don't have his book with me today, but he's talked, I've brought it many times before. He's openly talking about you've got to use COVID, as an excuse for the Great Reset. When he says Great Reset, he means moving the world away from freedom, individual liberty, uh, private property, personal uh, you know, pr- property, you own yourself, to a socialist, globalist government, which he thinks is a better thing. He's the one actually where part of the report says by the year 2030, you won't own anything and you'll like it. You got to let that sink in. These people are not joking. This is not some college class where they're kind of daydreaming about what can we do someday. This is what they think they're accomplishing. So every single instance of standing up against the tyranny that is spewing out from local and uh, government and state officials and federal officials tied to COVID every time you stand up, every time you resist, every time you say no, every time you support the truckers, you're helping the freedom movement push back against this massive, ongoing World Economic Forum, UN 2030, you know, name all the different, uh, you know, Bilderberg, all those groups think that this is a better, they think they're the big orchestrators of the world, the big thinkers, the planners, the ones who can really figure out how to make everything safe and fair. What they mean by that is you'll have no freedom and you'll be happy. I'm going to hit one more story, but before I do that, I want to make um, two quick announcements. Uh, one is uh, that we are um, this show has always been listener supported. I mean, I literally do this show in this lovely studio with this professional staff, wonderful producer. Um, and if you like this show and you appreciate it, I, number one, ask you if you would go to our website, org on the homepage, sign up for our weekly newsletter. Just hit subscribe. I get an email. You'll get a once a week email from me. I never saw the list and it's free. Number two, you can support this show and donations can be made on the website. You just hit the donate button and you can send money as it's so appreciated. I've never had a salary yet. I've been doing this show since 2014. It's all about saving America. The only point in doing this show. And number three, you can join America Can We Talk join AmericaCanWeTalk.org. $50 a year is a minimum membership. You can join. You get discounts on our future conferences. We have two coming up this year. You get discounts on our products, on our website. It's a great thing to do and a great way to support this show. The other thing you can do is uh, you can go to MyPillow.com. At MyPillow.com, and for our li- radio listeners, uh, MyPillow.com is the website that is. It has all the products that are being sold uh, by MyPillow.com, including uh, pillows, of course. That's their basic product. Really, really high-quality pillows. Pillows, sheets, bath towels, bathrobes, slippers, and literally dozens of other projects. I ha- products I haven't tried. I'm just telling you the ones I have tried. Go to MyPillow.com, place an order. You get up to 66% off, up to 66% off. So you get a great discount. On everything you buy and i get a small payment from them as when you in the ending when you're wrapping up your ordering they ask you for a promo code put in debbie g d-e-b-b-i-e-g debbie g do not do anybody else who's doing my pillow promo. Just order it from me. Order from mypillow.com. Put in the promo code WBG. I'll also take a moment to tell you about the beverage that I like. This is also another way for this show. I can be. Uh, I can help. You can help get uh, support this show and get a great product out of it. There is a wonderful project called Hydroshot. It is a drink. It's a nitric oxide boost drink. The website is H, and then the digit two, H2Bev, B as in boy, E, V as in vector.com. So it's it's H2Beverage, H2Bev.com. And again, at H2Bev.com, use a promo code, Debbie G. You get 10% off your order. And I'm telling you, it's hydro shot stuff. I I, I literally learned literally learned about it from a doctor friend of mine. As I was getting over the flu and and telling him about you know I'm I guess I'm over it, but I'm so dragging. I don't have any energy. I'm tired all the time. He said, I'm telling you, get hydro shot. And it's only available online. You can't buy it in stores. But you can go to h 2 bebcom and order it. You find increased performance, endurance. Focus. Many, many bodily improvements. There are many, many long studies which I cannot recount to you. But I want to urge you to go to h2bev.com and again, promo get ten percent off. Use the promo code WG, and there you go. I've mean, got one last quick story. Uh, and for our radio listeners, you have a couple minutes left before you go off the end of the show. So Epoch Times, which is a great, great. Um, source of information, a very reliable source of information, uh, not tainted by left-wing America, not tainted by the woke agenda. So at Epoch Epoch Times, there was an article talking about someone who did a, 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 a gentleman who did a study, took 24, analyzed 24 different papers, academic papers, analyzed them all, to look at the question of how effective were the shutdowns. How effective was it in terms of protecting lives and health for the world to shut down in response to COVID, which of course they did. The person who did the study is named Steve Hanke. He's the co-founder of the Johns Hopkins Institute for Applied Economics, Global Health, and the Study of Business Enterprise. He screened screened, uh, over 18,000 studies, focusing on 24 of them, to reach his conclusions. And he's trying to say this isn't just one guy spouting off, he's actually looking at studies by people who actually understand. And the bottom line was the lockdowns in Europe and in the United States may have reduced the mortality from COVID by 0.2%. By zero, point, basically statistically insignificant. The lockdowns did not help prevent people from getting COVID or dying from COVID. And he said the shelter in place orders may have reduced mortality by 2.9% on average. And that, of course, means applies to, or you must take into account the fact that there's 2.9% includes all the people with comorbidities. On our website, americacanwetalk.org, I've linked to this study. For radio listeners, you're zipping off, I know, the end of the show. Go to americacanwetalk.org, read this study yourself, and thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. Come back next time. For our regular online listeners, I'll tell you, uh, we have three more minutes, and I'm going to wrap it up. I want to mention quickly before I go Wyatt Ma- to why it matters to you that tomorrow in Texas, we're having a snow day. Um, we actually have a big storm coming. Uh, I mean, you know, the great weather prognosticators have said a big storm coming uh, with snow and ice, and so they are well, we are not going to have a show tomorrow. I had a guest fly in from out of town. He's not going to do that, so we're going to skip the show tomorrow. We'll be back on Monday and every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time for America, Can We Talk? I urge you again to go to our website, subscribe to our newsletter, join America, Can We Talk? That's the way to stay in touch. And we have a lot of new changes, uh, new things coming to America, Can We Talk? very soon. Uh, So I urge you to um, join as you can be part of what we're doing. So at the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started the show by talking to the judge releases excuse me, Antrim County audit report and why this matters. And then we had Dallas-based Russ Ramson's report of Dominion Voting Machines audit results, a system designed to create systemic fraud. He did this study right after the elections of 2020 and all this time. Dominion's been trying to prevent the release of this study, as have some officials in Michigan who don't want people reading about their unreliable. Uh, what he says to they their unreliable uh, and, uh, Dominion voting machines and the and the capacity for um, manipulation of the outcome. These are very so he there was describe in the report a system designed to create systemic fraud very serious findings why were they withheld from the public for so long why are they being released now is there any substantive technology-based refutation of these findings lots of people oh yeah they didn't know well what is the reason what's wrong with their findings the reality is evidence of outcome change election fraud in 2020 is already overwhelming growing every week, everyone's paying attention, and they know the 2020 election was stolen. Michigan judge apparently decided he didn't want to be found to have suppressed this report. It is the tide turning on election fraud? And again, watch for the uh, video that's, the documentary film coming out by um, Dinesh D'Souza this fall called 2000 Mules. And then we talked about Pfizer fights vaccine safety data release. Pfizer joins the FDA in asking a court to prevent disclosure of vaccine safety trial information for 55 years after a judge had ordered these documents be released per month. It was 55,000 documents per month. Everything would be out. I think it was by the end of September. Unconscionable behavior by Pfizer and the FDA screaming of common sense shouts and screams that the vaccine safety trial showed positive reassuring results. Pfizer and the FDA would want full and prompt disclosure and broad dissemination. Also, the issue of regulatory capture right here. To seek to hide the information for any period of time, including 55 years, is brazen, inexcusable, a virtual admission of serious concerns about trial safety data. And for anyone paying attention, vaccine hesitancy is just common sense. And the Truckers Freedom Convoy tearjerker, I, could, I really could hardly compose myself with watching that. A Canadian truck drive video about 11-year-old girl's note of encouragement goes viral, puts a real human face on the reality and meaning of the Canadian convoy. For any prime minister to label truckers as racist, white nationalists, violent extremists, this isn't political semantics, it's outrageous lying and a slander of his own people. Remains to be seen if Trudeau will be able to remain in office if he persists in defaming the Canadians, and disparaging their yearning for freedom and individual rights. Can Trudeau really count on the loyalty of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police? Whole other issue we didn't get into, the RCMP may have more sympathy with the truckers than the Prime Minister. That'd be great. And on lockdowns did not help. Epoch Times publishes a detailed pandemic study concluding lockdowns did not work. But lockdowns did destroy small businesses. Spurred depression, loneliness, drug addiction, and suicides cause immeasurable harm to children. Humanity itself must learn many things from the pandemic. Never trust one expert, get a second opinion, and a third, and a fourth. Lockdowns do extraordinary harm. Under what circumstances should they ever be justified? And why would anyone listen to Fauci at this point? Are we all just watching Mass Formation Psychosis? My very fine friends, my name is Debbie Georgiatis. This show is America Can We Talk. Our website is americacanwetalk.org. Tune in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time.
2: America, can we talk truth? about America.